and welcome to Marginally Geek. I'm Luke Babb. I'm Lauren Yarbrough. And we're recording this in the clock. <laughs> Right, ladies and gentlemen, gentle bugs, other peeps, we are bringing this to you from our closet. I've never been so excited to be part of something as I am right now. <laughs> our friend David, who is a real life podcast recorder, gave us the feedback that recording in the kitchen made too many loud noises and hollow sounds. So you get the Warm, dulcet tones of our hanging business wear. I'm so conscious right now of all of the things that I haven't ironed. I'm just like, oh, I hope they can't tell. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's fine. And if you hear a loud whooshing noise, that means we've disappeared to Narnia. <laughs> I look forward to posting these pictures on the internet. Uh, but it has been a minute since you heard from us last. <laughs> Uh, this is partially because we have been busy as fuck. I mean, we've been busy. I've been more busy at other times. Right. Mostly, we've been procrastinating like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> because it turns out that doing a creative endeavor with your partner... Dun dun dun! ...is stressful. <laughs> Those of you who have done creative endeavors with your partner, say, like, I don't know, bringing a child into the world. Oh my god, I can't imagine. Are at this point rolling your eyes and skipping ahead until uh, the interview starts. For extra points, take a shot every time we state the obvious. <laughs> like, creating things is hard. Making stuff with your partner is stressful. Parenting WTF! <laughs> Um, but no, no, we've been putting this off because, I don't know, I think we came to the realization that we're both, I say realization. Well, here's the thing. A lot of the times, the ways in which our particular neuroses <laughs> interact are complementary. Why are you looking at me so hard right now? I'm looking at the microphone. It's in front of my face. It's like, I, I feel triggered. <laughs> Most of the time, our neuroses are complementary. Mm. Occasionally, there is a great moment of light and heat in which they hit each other at full speed. Kind of like uh, that part, that part in in Civil War, where which also fun fact we fight about <laughs> slash fought about the last time we spoke of it, and we'll never speak of it again. <laughs> I'm a cat person. She's a Tony person. I'm correct. That's all you need to know. About <laughs> and us. You're incorrect. Uh, yeah, but no, I feel like our trouble. I mean, we've been obviously making up this entire podcast process as we go. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we definitely have had different creative visions, most of which we've been able to come to a compromise on after time and energy sure yes most mostly in most cases um although i still think our problem at the beginning was me being like i have these seven podcasts that i really like and obviously if we're gonna make a good podcast they're gonna sound like this but you didn't listen to those seven podcasts so you were like where the fuck is this coming from <laughs> Why why are you making me do things with no context? It's like they're obviously the right things. Just listen to me. <laughs> I have been gathering podcasts that I listen to as as rebuttal pieces and also listening to some of the ones that you've listened to and being like no these are really great. We can take some of the ideas. But it's a it's a creative process ladies and gentlemen, and other folks. Which is kind of ironic, because I totally didn't... I expected the, like, interviews, I guess, to be a creative process. Like, the handling of talent, you know, blah, blah, blah. Lauren comes to us from a theater background. <sighs> you know. 
like you 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 do it's like you guys sit at the table and you interview which is kind of like being in rehearsal and then later you and I decide where things are going to go in the program it's not like that at all it's not it's not like that at all um the interview comparatively takes very little time and is very easy why are you looking at me so hard right I'm now I'm looking at the microphone <laughs> It's true. It's true, guys. I'm just, I'm just caught telling lies. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we got to the point where we we're like, oh, it's time to record. Three hundred percent more stressed out than before. <laughs> like this is awful. I mean, for a while there, we definitely got to the point where we we're like, should we just not? Should we? Should we just not? But then people would talk about how something was important or they were really excited about something or for the first time they felt like they could identify as geeky oh my god stroke our egos you guys please (laughs) please help us and that seemed too important to not do and so here we are we may do the next marginalia from our like you know couples therapy session you never know <laughs> just different this venues isn't, this isn't the couples therapy like session? a field trip we're in the actual closet this is a step back really <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it also where would they sit like there's no i've amassed twice as many shoes as last year and you have this giant box full of things it's a gift box it's a box of gifts don't tell people people in case those end up being given to people who listen to the show uh they're awesome gifts really really top notch none of them are gifts that we were given and are trying to get away get rid of at all some of them are for very specific people who just live a very long ways away and i can't be arsed to go to the post office You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot be arsed. That's A R S E D. We need we need to do a live blog of the Great British Bake Off. And by live blog, I mean watch an episode we've already seen on mute while talking about it. I think that would be a great episode. I'm just going to tell you be... this now while we're recording because I don't care who knows. I think that would be a great episode of an entirely different podcast. This is the crux of our problem, you guys. (laughs) If the podcast could just be renamed Awesome Ideas That Lauren Has Had (laughs) During the Process, I just just feel like we wouldn't be here in the closet. (laughs) But here we are, promising you more episodes as we move forward. Yeah, we we might end up having to take a break to, like, figure out, well... A couple episodes from now to like figure out what right. the next arc is. We're gonna take a couple. Uh, we're gonna take a little bit of a break. A couple episodes from now, figure out the next arc. And Don't go worry. on our honeymoon. We'll tell you again, like when it gets there. Oh yeah! We have a honeymoon coming up. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> we're gonna be gone. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are here, for nerdiness and geekiness. Yeah, we'll get to it. Are like why. Why am I listening to these people talk, tell me about their private lives? Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on the FanWorks Appreciation, because I realized that one of, one of the many fights we've had while trying to record this podcast was me being like, this segment is important, and you being like, but what is it? Me being like, don't ask me stupid questions! <laughs> so, I know what I'm doing! I'm a professional! Uh, so... A professional what you said. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that and like why it's a thing. And, you know, it might not be a thing that survives into our next season, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Everything's on the table right now. Half season. Just pretend we're a CW show, folks. We take a mid-season break. <laughs> you wonder what happened to poor main character's name here. And then you come back and they're fighting God. Is this a season of Supernatural? Among other things. Oh, okay. You think that there's only one over-the-top CW show? You fool. I, I clearly, I'm drowning in the rivers of my falsehood. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, in this episode, folks, we're talking to Angel. Uh, Angel is awesome. Member of the X-Men. Angel's not actually a member of the X-Men. Angel is much cooler than Warren Worthington III. Well, his name's not Warren Worthington III, so that helps. <laughs> All this to say that the person we're about to talk to is much cooler than... Right. 
that particular X-Men. Mm-hmm. Fact. Uh, and will probably fight you if you say that he's not cooler than any of the other X-Men. As is only proper. So let's hear from Angel. Yeah. Enjoy. My name is Michael Patterson. Everyone calls me Angel. I am 32. I've been a nerd since... My earliest memories were playing ColecoVision with my dad. <laughs> Kid you not. Like, old school Donkey Kong with, like, the little, like, nine n- number pad and, like, the little wheel thing at the top. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led me down a road. I, I mean, also the fact that my parents... Used to have discussions about who was the better captain between Kirk and Picard. Right. Um, and watched a lot of Star Wars. Probably didn't help. <laughs> and a lot of horror movies. Probably somewhere in there. Um, I've done a whole bunch of weird stuff. I mean, I, by weird things, I mean like nerdy things like LARP and lots of gaming and mm-hmm. lots of movies, like lots of horror films and cult movies. So gaming, like, are we talking ColecoVision, like, like video games or what? What's video games, board games, tabletop games? Mm-hmm. Uh, I never really got into like Warhammer or anything, but I do play D anD D. Right. And the only reason I never really got into Warhammer is because no one ever was playing it around me. Kind of like, I'm pretty certain the only reason I'm not playing Magic now is I remember the kids who were playing Magic back in like fifth grade would let me play with them. <laughs> no, I know. I felt so bad. And now I'm like, eh, I probably saved a whole bunch of money how much time. But that being said, if I actually started playing Magic then, I'd probably have this massive deck that's worth a fortune. Right. So... That's always the trade-off. Is... But, yeah. It also presumes I would have kept them. Like, I don't know where my comic book collection is right now. Yeah. Oh, no. Like, my childhood comic collection? No idea. That That's so sad. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. I've had like twenty years of comics in a in a bucket, <clears throat> not a bucket, like a uh, a tote. Right. That I left at my um, dad's house when I moved out and went to college, and then I've no heard idea. that story so many times. Like I just went to college and I came back. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a moment of silence. Yeah, seriously, it's one of those things you get over. Um. That's a lot. That's a lot of things. What are you doing right now? Like, what are you... Because you're like, I've done all these things. What are mm-hmm. you, like, into? What am I doing right now? Mm-hmm. Well, martial arts. I've done kung fu for years. Lifting, but that's not really nerdy. That's just, you know, I'm going to die early and look pretty when I'm 70. Um, a lot of technology. Right. Just because it's the field I work in. I work in IT. So I'm always learning about some new piece of tech. And I have a lot of tech. And it's also kind of nice that a lot of the tech that I buy, I can write off my taxes because I need it for research. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, still video gaming. That Video gaming and comic books are probably the thing that I'm still, like, the most focused on or honed in on. Because it's just something that can, doesn't take a lot of time. Or comics can take time. Gaming can take years. I was about to say, like, video gaming... Years. I knew I was addicted to Skyrim when I stayed up for, like, two straight days playing. I mean, it was winter break, so it didn't matter. I wasn't working at the time, so I'm like, I got shit else to do. Right. I'm going to play Skyrim. Right. Got up in the morning at 6, like I was used to. Started playing. My roommate goes to work at 8. Came back at around noon. I'm like, hey, it's a long game again. Not a big deal. Goes to second job around 3. Comes back at midnight. Goes to sleep. Still playing. Comes, like, gets up. You know, gets ready, to go, gets ready to go to work around 8. And he's like, you're going to be here playing this game when I get back from work. And I, I looked at, look at him and said, fuck you, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I went to bed for about six hours, woke up. I'm like, what do we do now? Play Skyrim, I guess. <laughs> and then kind of repeated the same thing. Like, I, I guess between a 48-hour period, I got like six hours of sleep. I guess now, but here's the question, though. Mm-hmm. How many Skyrim save files do you have? Number of save files, probably only... I'm, I'm really good about saving continuously. Mm-hmm. 
but I really only keep like five files. Sure. I just know a lot of folks who have done who do Skyrim and do like a full playthrough, explore everything with this character, mm-hmm. then start the new character. Ah, uh, nope. Like I might go back and play the game again, like I did with Dragon Age right before mm-hmm. Dragon Age Two was coming out. Right. But I pretty much play the same type of character in all of those games. It's always a female mage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One thing that's been on my mind recently mm. that I think you might appreciate. Mm. Um, there's a disturbing lack of like figurines for D and D for tabletop gaming, just in general, of POCs mm. and women who aren't Barbie dolls. <laughs> women who are not. Actively in a bikini? <laughs> yeah. Actively in a bikini, have waist size and bust sizes that just don't make sense. Or any kind of armor that is even remotely <laughs> useful. Yeah. how this... Uh, you said you've been t- thinking about this a lot. how did it come up? Well, last year sometime... Um... I, I was considering buying a 3D printer, which I'm still doing. Um, and I thought to myself, you know what? It would be nice to make my own set of min- miniatures. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a second. I can make them look like me. And then that went to, whoa, wait a second. Why are there no action figure? Like, why are there no figurines at all that look like me? That's weird. And then, you know, the more and more you dig into it, and you're like, you, you find one or two here and there, but you have to dig. Right. And that's that's presuming that the store you're at has figurines. Right. And now, granted, a lot of them, I've seen a lot of figurines that just are like one blank color. Right. So you can paint them. But even then, they don't look like me. Like, I'm black. My parents are black. Their parents are black. And like, my family's been here for years. Well, years, generations, well over a hundred years. Right. Um, and it's just like, I'm sorry, I have a wide nose and I have really kinky hair. I guess I have dreads, but none of it, none of them have any kind of even features that look remotely like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, hmm, that's weird. Why has no one done this? So, mm-hmm. like my one of my current projects for this year um, is to kickstart a company that makes those. That's awesome. Are you going to like, are you sort of like aiming for the same market as like Pathfinder minis or like... I haven't seen Pathfinder minis. Reaper? I haven't seen Reaper minis either. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, they're both companies that make pewter. Okay. I think I think they both made pewter. Uh, Pathfinder might have finally moved to like plastic, but Reaper minis are like pewter, and they make them for things like D and D, and um, they have a modern line and stuff, and a whole bunch of different lines now. It's been it's been a while since I did a lot of like tabletop gaming, but they were the ones that I'd always go to, and they'd come in a little like. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay, sorry, I thought you meant there was a specific. Like, they, were, they actually stopped making miniatures that are, you know, not really one-size-fits-all, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, like kind of like the presumption that one-size-fits-all. Um, so, yes, effectively, I'd be trying to move in, into their market, but right. for everyone they don't represent, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, like, not everybody's of European descent. Not, e- not every woman is, you know, <clears throat> not every woman is or let alone wants to be drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, to, to to be fair, like, and, like, this is not me being, like... Oh, of course, please. Well, but not all people. Um, Like, even the dudes, it's the fallout problem. You either get super thin, like, roguey types... Oh, sure, sure. Or 
Beefcake McBeefcakerson, the uh, the paladin with ah uh, no, I'm thinking like all the body types. Yeah, like why shouldn't a barbarian or have like a Viking build with his giant beer gut and like is you know six feet tall, shits fire, and has like <laughs> these massive guns and swings a hammer? Why not? Doesn't matter. Um, why can't like a female mage be a little older? possibly have, like, a small stomach from sitting down and reading all day. Okay. Not that big of a deal. Right. Like, I'm, I mean, honestly, I really want to hit everybody who's not a white, like, stereotypical male mm-hmm. or a <clears throat> unbelievably attractive, like, white woman. Right. Why not? I mean, there are millions of gamers out there. Who are probably in the same boat that I am, looking for miniatures that look like them. I think that's absolutely true, yeah. Um, and I think that as gaming gets bigger, that's become more and more true. Because, like, the- theoretically, gaming in the 60s started with, like, a bunch of white boys in a, in a basement somewhere talking about Tolkien. I watch Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, that's not who it is anymore. And I feel like gaming hasn't quite caught on to that. Like, D&D has sort of started making movements towards, Mm -hmm. like, portraying people of color in its books. Mm -hmm. Which is great. Mm -hmm. Every step forward is a step forward. But, like... Well, you know, it's just, it's weird to me because I feel like nerddom as a whole is typically pretty progressive. Now, granted... The last couple of years, I've been kind of pissy with them, like like Gamergate, for instance. Right. I think in the last couple of years, we're kind of seeing a backlash that from like men's rights activists mm-hmm. and like the sad puppies and any number of hate groups were like, like for instance, what they shoot with with Rogue One. Mm-hmm. You're like, why, why, you mad, bro? Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why are you upset? Right. Not a big deal. Like we see people who look like you in, in leads all the time. The the point I've heard on that is that. As marginalized people, we are used to having to identify with people who don't look like us. Mm-hmm. We have grown that set of skills. As oh. mainstream people, as white men... <laughs> I like that you did that. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> as white men, they've never had to build that skill set. Sure. And so anything less than everything feels like they're being discriminated against. They can't identify with Jen Urso because they've never had to. Sure, sure. Which is fucked. But yeah, like... no, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> but, I mean, looking back at media over the last, what, 60 years? Mm-hmm. Probably further back. Um, I guess it's about the 20s? I'm going to say... Birth of a Nation was like twenty six. I think so. It was it was early, like it was very early. So I mean, looking at the last what ninety years of cinema, right? If you look at like theater, before then, someone was always being marginalized, I and mean, I guess the only people that weren't were white men. In our society, definitely. In our yeah. society, definitely, or just men in general. Cause, I mean. You had theaters in Asia that didn't allow women. Well, I mean, the history of th- the history of theater <laughs> is a massive thing about which I do not know enough to speak authoritatively. Um, I know that you had theaters in England that didn't allow women mm-hmm. for a good long stretch there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the I think the point I think the point stands that like. Historically, the people who are marginalized, because I think that the whole idea of like marginal and mainstream is sort of made up and reinforced. Okay. Because I don't think that there's like if you put everybody in a room and you tally them, right? Mm-hmm. White men are not the majority. No, clearly not. Right, clearly not. <clears throat> but like they have been the ones in charge and they've had the, been the ones who have their, had their stories told the mm-hmm. most and they've been the one that you see the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting studies about like how many people 
in a crowd scene can be anything other than white men before the audience starts to think that it's like strange. Yeah, you're not wrong. I remember hearing about the freak out uh, with Luke Cage that most of the actors are <laughs> the actors are black. And it's you're like, set in Harlem. <laughs> I don't know what else you would think would happen in like black Harlem. It's Luke Cage. It's. I mean, you can have. A, actually, I think they're mad about that too. But it's like the black exploitation film of Marvel Comics. I know it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. They did such a good job with it. It's so good. It's one of those movies that I, it's where TV shows where I'm like, you're not talking to me, and there are references that I'm just not going to get, but I am here <laughs> for it. <laughs> yeah. That was. It felt totally like a 1970s black exploitation detective show. In a good way? In a good way, though. Because, I mean, they, they dealt with. <clears throat> In my personal opinion, all of the problems with 1970s black exploitation detective films. And as a result, they just they handle it really, really well. Problems like what? Um I mean, I guess the issue with me in black exploitation films, I actually like them as a kid. I like them as a kid, I still like them as an adult. But I grew up mostly on the films that made fun of them like I'm gonna get you sucker mm-hmm. the warriors mm-hmm. um the last dragon that's Bruce Leroy yeah I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get you sucker that was um can you dig it okay that's where that's from okay no can you dig it is the warriors I'm thinking of who's the master that's the last dragon <laughs> show enough yeah okay okay cool um, and I mean, most of the issues I would say, at least from what I remember, I haven't gone back and watched them as like a well-educated adult with ideas of race relations. Um, you very, like again, drugs and prostitution were the big ones, which I mean, I guess to be fair, those can be problems and have been problems in the black community, but you very rarely saw anyone of like, of actual intellect. Always gangs, mm. always prostitution, always drugs, um, and I guess growing up, looking at it in contrast to modern day films that make fun of that, mm-hmm. it, it, I guess I have a different spin on it. Let's start with Luke Cage. Luke Cage has been in prison. And, I mean, his story talks about the atrocities that happen in prison that happened to black men in prison. And we know he was innocent. And you kind of saw why he was in prison, what the prison complex does to people. Mm-hmm. Um, or looking at... I don't remember his name now. Um, Cottonmouth. Yeah. Cottonmouth was a genius. I mean, they don't say the word genius, but... They hint pretty strongly right. that the man was incredibly talented musically. Like, I'm gonna sit this piano for a while and just play, and it's going to be, you know, like God send a jazz. Right. And yes, he he ended up being a gangster. He was more of a mobster. Like he wasn't the type of you know, I'm going to go slap my um, significant other around or slap another woman around get into, like, have my hand in prostitution and all this other stuff. I mean, I'm trying to remember what he sold, and and was it just guns? I mean, we only ever see him selling guns in the in the show. Like, all of his big sure. deals are for guns. We also get a hint that, like, if he doesn't... If he's not, like, involved in prostitution, he at least uses prostitutes. Sure, sure. Um, well, I think... If you look, when you look at his his, his upbringing, mm-hmm. his his grandmother mm-hmm. was really against drugs. Um, prostitution was okay, but I mean, to be fair, she ran a brothel. So, you're listening to Marginally Geek. Thanks. 
If you want to email us, our email is marginallygeek at gmail.com. Send us your comments, your questions, your ego strokes. We love those. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. We're on Tumblr, all under Marginally Geek. Uh, yeah, so send us your pictures, your comments, your suggestions, your cool friends that we should talk to. And uh, thanks for listening. Back to the show. Part of part of the thing that I do and that I really struggle with is like being an ally and an advocate, and that meaning that I have to be uncomfortable a lot of the time. Okay. Um, and that meaning that like if I am uncomfortable, I'm probably like learning something. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and so, uh, Luke Cage specifically for me, there were a lot of moments where I was just like, I am uncomfortable. I'm not sure why. I'm going to just, like, process that. Um, and, like, one of the moments for me was fairly early on because we're we're early in the show. All we have as, like, main characters is we have Luke, we have Misty, we have M- Scarf, Misty's mm-hmm. partner. partner. Yep. Um, we have Cottonmouth. We have Shades. Mm-hmm. Of, gangster consultant. Right. I love Shades <laughs> I for know. so many reasons. Ditto. Um, but for a, for a hot second there, I was like, okay, as a white person watching the show, there are no white people in this show, which is good, which is what it should be, which is what this show is about. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I am not here to see myself, but like what – as a white person watching the show, what messages can you take about like black on black violence? I hate that phrase. Yeah, no, I mean, you're not wrong. Um, but like because you're you're seeing people of color who are doing like pretty intense crime, mm-hmm. often at each other, mm-hmm. and like what messages can somebody who's not raised in black exploitation, who doesn't understand this situation, who's white and coming into it? get from that and that was one of those moments where I was like this is not about the show this is about me and my what I've been taught sure sure like but it was I don't know I I, I, I got to the point as the show went on where I realized that where I was like oh no 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 this is not about what the show is trying to do this is just that the show isn't talking to me and my worries sure sure Huh. I, I never thought about it that way. I mean, I felt for a long time if the U.S. wants to deal with high crime rates, they need to stop investing in prisons and start investing in education and job possibilities. And I don't know if they ever really address that in the show. I just don't remember. It's been such a long time. Sure. Well, it's been like a couple months. Not really a long time. But that being said, I, I feel like I remember feeling like they might have addressed it in a very like marginal, like there's got to be a better way. Well, that's theoretically what what's her name? The politician who's uh, Cottonmouth's cousin. cousin. Oh, yeah. Because her whole thing is making this like cultural center right Mm -hmm. and like this place where people can live and like have their kids and be safe in harlem Mm -hmm. um and like have access to like a safe community for kids to grow up sure sure and you're not wrong it's just but she's evil yeah but she's evil (laughs) it's 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 such an interesting point though because i feel like do you remember the assassin in Firefly? Oh, yeah, I do early. So the question is, which is work? Like, is it better to do some evil things, but for the greater good, mm-hmm. knowing that the end is going to be great for everyone? Or, I guess the other option is to either mean do nothing or kind of watch from the outside and just, and just kind of play the game correctly and hope that what you're going to do is the right thing. Now, granted, that being said, I mean, either way, whether or not you're being being absolutely evil, absolutely good, or in the middle of being neutral, like, I'm just going to watch. Right. 
the trade-off is you never really know what's going to happen in the end. Right. But can you excuse those people that do some evil things? I mean, I can't say I necessarily agree with her character's motivation. Well, no, I can't agree with motivation. Right. I don't agree with the method. Mm-hmm. And investing in in mobs is probably not a good idea. But if the ultimate plan, I mean, from what we saw on the show, was just to make Harlem, as you've mentioned, like a, a great cultural center, which means let's bring back music, let's bring back education, let's bring back jobs that so people can send their kids to school and they can work and everything. I, is, it, is it better? I don't know. And I really like <clears throat> that that's... There's two places I want to go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that that's sort of the big conflict between her and Cottonmouth at the beginning of the show is that Cottonmouth has made his little utopia, right? Mm-hmm. He's made this beautiful, high fashion, entirely black space mm-hmm. for jazz. Yeah. Um, and that has been sort of what he's set out to do. And he is very happy with it. And mm-hmm. he is ready to stop there. Yeah. Um, and she's like, you're... I'm pretty sure her argument is like, you're being selfish. There are other things you can do with this power. Um, you can't just stop here. Yeah. And like, I feel like that's... Feel like that's part of a conversation that I don't have access to. Again, sure. one of those things that's like a larger conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that that very much that question of like when you get the power, however you get the power, mm-hmm. what do you do with it, and how much of what you do with it is for your community. That's interesting because something that brought to mind is like I think I feel like they're the two sides of Mom Mabel, like their grandmother. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if you look at it, on the one hand, Mabel had her hands in some really shady shit. But on the other hand, I mean, there's that speech that Shades gives the... Her. Her. <laughs> Shades gives Cottonmouth's cousin that says, you know, when I grew up in the neighborhood, your dad beat you? Talk about Mabel. You need money for shoes or for books? Mom Mabel. Like, any number of things, you went to her because she was looking out for her community. Yeah. And that's something you see in a lot of... Because I'm really interested in, like, the mob right now. Okay. Just in general. And that's something that you see in a lot of ex-mobsters or people who grew up in mob-run neighborhoods talking about mafiosos. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, does awful things. But if you need something, he will take care of you. He looks after his neighborhood. He looks after his people. Sure. And that's... And I don't know... And that's... And the other place I wanted to go with this, I think, is... Have you seen Rogue One? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's a conversation that's going on in Rogue One, too. Like, we have this Cassian. We have mm-hmm. this character who is a spy, and who is very upfront with the fact that, like, I have killed people, I have committed assassinations, I have done awful, awful, awful things. And I did it because it needed to be done for the cause. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think the movie is sort of asking this question, the same question of, like, at what point is what you have done excusable for the ends? Ooh, yeah. I, I didn't catch that, but I, you're not wrong. Because I think that's also the question we get with Mad Mickelson's, like, scientist character, who mm-hmm. creates the Death Star. Yeah, but if you think about it, I mean, he, his, his motivations were wrong. They are going to do it anyway. I might as well do it and control it and then be able to put, put in a, you know, universe-saving failsafe. Right, which, which in the end, he's correct. But, like, how can you be sure that they were going to do it anyway? How many people had to die because... You, you thought you could the entire planet of Alderaan to start out with. <laughs> whoa, whoa, they're late. They're late <laughs> to the party. Where were the other the other places that got blown up? Right, right. And like maybe if you hadn't done this, they wouldn't have been able to pull it off. And like, yeah, you did build in this failsafe, but like there was no guarantee ever that anyone was going to be able to 
That's how you use it. I yeah. mean, trust in the force? <laughs> yeah, the question of the force in that movie is another whole question. I don't know if we have time to get into it. I have questions <laughs> about like what they're saying about religion. and but like Yeah, it crossed my mind once or twice. Right. But like the, I think there's, I think it is a- asking that same question of like, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm sort of struggling as what it answers. Like I, both of these movies, both of these shows, I don't think it, they offer us simple answers. Sure, sure. Um, because we get, in Luke Cage, we get Cottonmouth dead and his cousin, like, progressively evil yeah um and like the only person i feel like the only people who don't do this massively evil thing for the greater good are luke and claire they are always our moral compasses they're always the people who are like, like lauren when we were watching luke cage kept calling him the granddaddy because, like, he's always just, like, very sure of what's right and wrong and willing to, like, whap you upside the head if you're wrong about it. Yeah, right. Um, but Luke is, like, Luke is the person that we come back to as this is how we're supposed to think and supposed to behave. And I'm not, I'm not coming up against, like, thinking about it. All the other characters, um, besides maybe Misty, have this... Mm-hmm. But I think Misty has the problem of being restricted by the law. Right. But she never... I don't think she ever does an evil thing for good ends. I don't think she does either. But she and Luke and Claire are the only ones I can think of because we get the scientist who made Luke. Yeah. He was definitely shady. Shady. Yeah. (laughs) Evil. Um, But he was doing it for like a good reason. See, I wouldn't call him evil. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't call him evil. I would. I, I feel mean, human test subjects on prisoners. Prisoners kind of messed up. <laughs> the only reason I wouldn't call him, I would say he's more neutral mm. than I wouldn't say call him good. Man, I could see maybe chaotic good. But that's. Mm. I will repeat again: neutral, like 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 test testing science on prisoners that's going to kill them. Yes, I concur. Like, how are we defining evil? Because well, you're because you're doing so, no good, neutral, evil. Like, where are your lines? Okay, so the prison guard, clearly evil. Okay. The scientist, I would say, I wouldn't say call him evil. On the only reason why, and maybe it's because this this trope that always comes up in science films, right? Of the scientist who's just blinded. By what I could do and not what I should be doing. Right. Or why I shouldn't do that. So is evil like a choice to be malicious? I would say evil's a choice. Yeah. Like it is a clear cut decision. I mean, now granted, by that definition, you could say the scientist is evil because he knew what, that people would die right. doing it. But I, I, I mean, maybe it's just. I always feel for those scientists, like, number one, we don't know who's pulling their strings. Um, And then number two, like, there's something to be said about the necessity of human trials. Now, granted, how he was doing was incredibly unethical. Right. Incredibly unethical. But if you're trying to do a good thing... Because you believe, not because you're doing it for the money, not because you're doing it for the fame, but because you believe it's a good thing, I think it kind of helps. doesn't mediate what you did was, was evil. But like I said, I wouldn't classify him as evil. Mm-hmm. Neutral, maybe chaotic good, probably neutral. Sure. Do you think that, well, I mean, if you think that evil... However, however, we're defining that choice. Is a choice? Mm-hmm. Is good also a choice? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I, I do believe that people are inherently good. Right. But I believe that, I mean, it's kind of like Deadpool. Like, everyone has their five moments. Right. Like, 
you eventually just find a moment where you have to be good. And it is actually a choice. Sure. Um, then I guess I'm, I'm really interested in like Cottonmouth and his cousin. And I feel mm-hmm. worse and worse about the fact that I don't remember her name. I know. Um, it's driving me nuts. You know, right. let's just IMDb this right now. All right. Um, but we've got both of these characters who are doing these awful things. We've talked about this, doing these awful things for good reasons. Are they, how would you align them? Like, Cottonmouth kills a man with his bare hands. Is he mm-hmm. evil? Um, I feel like Cottonmouth was only doing things mostly to benefit Cottonmouth. Mm. Councilwoman Stokes, I'm just looking up her name. I think initially was benefiting, like was acting in a way that would benefit the community. So not to say that she wasn't doing evil things. But I think she believed that like her hope was that excuse me, Harlem would thrive. Right. And not just for her sake, but for everybody's sake. Because you remember she from how she grew up. So it kinda made sense. I mean, I think that's definitely the case at the beginning of the mm-hmm. show. But I think that <laughs> spoilers <laughs> fans, I think when she kills Cottonmouth, there's a pivot. Sure. Right? And, like, I think I... I'm at a place where I don't really blame her for killing Cottonmouth. Yeah, I mean... Like, I feel like that was... That was not justifiable homicide, but, like, I see where she was coming from. Um, But, like, after that point, she loses focus more Mm -hmm. and more on the community and loses contact more and more with the community Mm -hmm. and becomes more and more focused on, like... Her own survival? Sure. Well, I mean, she did just kill a man. Right. Yeah. So. (laughs) That's a real thing that happened. But, like, (laughs) I don't know if she... Because I think she has a really clear character arc. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if she comes out as questionably good-aligned as she started out, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, So, what does she do later in the show? I'm trying to remember. Like frames Luke for murder. Yes, Mariah Dillard. There we go, Mariah. Because her name in the yeah, she's not Stokes in the comic is like Black Mariah, isn't it? I never read Luke Cage. Really? Mm-mm. No one ever bought it for me, and I mean, I, <clears throat> I knew he existed, but right. I don't think I've only read Luke Cage in like group. Books. Like, mm-hmm. I read him in The Avengers. I haven't read his original stuff. Sure, sure. I should. Ditto. Right. Um, but, like, yeah. Okay. So, Mariah. What does she do in the end of the, uh, end of the stuff? Well, she, does, she, she does frame Luke. She frames Luke for murder. Um, she works with Diamondback. Mm-hmm. To kill Luke. To kill Luke. And she, mm-hmm. I think she tries to get out of the... She, she does. She, she tries to get out. She falls more and more under Shades' sway. I mean, he is the gangster consultant. He is the gangster <laughs> consultant. I mean, I, if Shades offers you his services, he is probably the sanest person running those streets. I, I, I was watching it, and I'm like, man, this is... Clearly, this guy is the, guy, the gangster that everyone should be listening to. He, just, <laughs> he doesn't make a bad call. And right. everything he says is really obvious. Like, dude, just give it up. Just be done. Let him go. And it'd be fine. Luke Cage doesn't care about you as long as you just stop. Right. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Right. Right. No, I... I was also really interested in, like, how he interacted with, like, the the gangsters in the street, like, th- that were from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't feel like I have enough knowledge about okay. anything to be like and it was weird because of these but like I thought that was an interesting like he's the one that always makes the right calls he's the one who's emotionally distant enough from what's happening mm-hmm. to be able to say but have you thought about not being an idiot <laughs> <laughs> have oh, you considered yeah. maybe um, and so I don't I don't know. I really like Shades. I'm interested in seeing where he's going. 
Ditto. In season two. I mean, probably back to prison. Or dead. I mean, we ended it with him making out with Mariah, so, like... Yeah, I mean, I think, did she kiss him? I don't remember. I think she kissed him. I think so. I, I just was like, oh, there it is. It's been coming for three episodes. I didn't yeah, know who you was... were going to make out with, but it was going to be somebody. All yeah, right. Yeah, I figure it's going to be Shades. <laughs> Shades or Luke. I mean, everyone else is a no-name. I expected <laughs> Shades or her, like... Oh, I her the camp. Yeah. 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 Um, but we could talk for hours about just Luke Cage. We probably could very well. It's great. It is a good show. Well done, Marvel. Well done. Before I let you go, okay. uh, do you have a name for your mini company yet? Not yet. But if you'd have me back, I'd love to come back and if later in the year, maybe next year, and talk about it. I would absolutely love that. Let's make that happen. At the very least, as soon as that happens, give us the information and it'll be on our website. Cool. Um, and we'll get the word out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime. Hey, guys. Welcome to Fanbrook's Appreciation Corner. Uh, full disclosure, I don't actually have... <laughs> a guest or a fan works thing to talk to you guys about. Um, this is really like if you were reading a book, this honestly would be the introduction after like chapter two and you'd be like, what the hell is this doing here? It's supposed to be at the front. Um, but if you listen to the marginalia at the beginning of the episode, you may have heard me and Luke talking about how we've sort of struggled to figure out what we're doing with this podcast and what needs to go where and so on and what this is even about. Um, and I realized that what I had in my head for why I thought a fanworks appreciation segment was so important was kind of getting lost in translation. So I don't know if we're going to keep this. I don't even know if this segment is going to keep happening, to be honest with you. But here is my attempt to explain it. Um, so you should know by now that the whole concept of death of the author is like one of my favorites, particularly as it comes to fandom. You know, you are the author or the artist, the creator of a cool thing that people love a lot. And once it's out there, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it belongs to everybody who loves it. You get the rights. Hopefully you get some royalties. Maybe you get wealthy. I mean, I hope when you make your things and come up with your ideas that you all become wealthy and get to buy those uh, sexy sports cars that we all secretly want. I want that for every one of you. Um, but yeah, no, you're the creator, but you're not. I mean, as far as regards like people making stuff about your stuff, it doesn't it doesn't belong to you anymore. Right. That's how I look at it. That's that's the perspective I take. And I think that's important um, in a way that just ties in really to why we're doing this show at all. Uh, because a lot of the people whose works get well-known, appreciated, mainstreamed, you know, are people who just are fortunate enough to have the loudest voices. So, you know, a lot of comic book writers, cis white guys, a lot of people who write books. I mean, white people of various persuasions. But that's anyone can have a great idea. You know, I'm not here trying to say that all white people's ideas are bad because that's a lie. Um, I enjoyed Firefly just as much as the rest of you. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Um... But what I am saying is that I think the process of ingesting something that you love and <laughs> metastasizing it into an expression of itself that is now you flavored is so important and needs to be celebrated. So I'm talking about um, the previous guest I had on here, uh, uh, Soba Noodles cosplay cosplaying a bunch of different characters as a black woman I think that's awesome um, being a marginalized person of any description who can take something 
and insert yourself into it and make something that's really cool and gorgeous and clever and funny in a different way, in a way that, you know, celebrates the original, but has something to say about like where you come from. I, I, I just, that's so important to me. Uh, I come from a theater background and this, I have a lot of feelings about like the canon, classical texts, whatever. Like basically, if I've ever spoken to you about theater, like this is not a surprise to you. Um, but yeah, I feel like celebrating fan work, specifically things that people have made of the things that they love and like twisted them in a way that allows them to see themselves. I just, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, and especially while we're at this time in our history that feels like the product of people feeling written out. Honestly, like I'm not going to go all wonky politics podcast because that's not what we're here for. But everybody feels marginalized right now, it seems like. And rightly or wrongly, it seems like a lot of people feel excluded from the narrative. A lot of people are being excluded from the narrative, from systems of power that need them to stay in place um people aren't seeing it themselves and in some places where we have begun to see ourselves where we've maybe gotten to the place where we're like yeah we can do that life has just brought that hammer down and said nope actually you don't get to be here You don't get to be in the White House. You don't get to be seen. You're not safe as who you are. The way that you live is going to be erased and persecuted, actively, actively opposed, but we're going to silence you. Uh, And... In a lot of ways, and I'm, you know, speaking from a very subjective personal experience here, in a lot of ways, to me, I think being ignored and being not acknowledged to exist in the first place is way worse than being opposed. Um, Because it doesn't just hurt you, right? It hurts hurts everybody else who maybe maybe identifies with you and doesn't know it yet. Um, so that's a lot of vague book, but I'm still working on it. I'm still working on the concept. Uh, I still <laughs> don't have a stable of future segments lined up yet, but as I've been ingesting the media that I'm into and like the news, current events, all the other things that we're doing when we're not recording this podcast for you guys. Uh, Yeah. The, the ways in which people can and do insert themselves into prevailing narratives of any kind. um, That's really important to me. And that's what I'm going to try to figure out how to express and share with all of you. Maybe, (laughs) maybe it'll make it into some more segments Um, and maybe not, but we'll see. So yeah, thanks for listening. That was Angel again before, Uh, not an X-Man, definitely way cooler than an X-Man. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for the credits. And after that, our next wave of shows and you know i hope you stick with us while we keep struggling and figuring shit out and you know maybe we'll even make it out of this closet (laughs) all right later guys
you for listening to Marginally Geek. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes under that name. And you can also email us at marginallygeek at gmail.com. Our artistic producer and host is Lucas Babb. Executive producer is me, Lauren Yarbrough. Our theme song is by Ronan Cohn. Z can be found at patreon.com forward slash mass hysteria music as well as at facebook.com forward slash now z here our logo was created by mike miller you can find his work at michaelmiller.co and marginally geek is produced in partnership with fake geek girl productions Presented by Fake Geek Girl Productions, gracing the internet with gynocentric geek comedy since 2015. For more hilarity, find us on social media at FGGPeeps and visit FGGPeeps.com.